This is Top Floor Episode 105. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 105. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Nima Anvar immigrated to the United States at age nine as a result of the Iranian Revolution and grew up watching Leave It to Beaver reruns in San Diego. Nima got a bachelor's in biology and was finishing a master's in epidemiology when he met his future wife. A couple of years later, they were married and heading from San Diego to Grenada, where Nima's in-laws owned a hotel. While they built a second property, they put Nima in charge of the first. So today, Nima and I are going to talk about on-the-job training and tech startups. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals and random people off the street who have burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Lorna. Here is what Lorna has to say. I think it would be so fun to live and work abroad for a few years. How do I get started? Nima, you're the perfect person to answer this question. What advice do you have for Lorna? So my first idea about going to a place that you've never been is go there first as a visitor. Just, you know, kind of get your feet wet. And I would encourage you to try to stay there beyond the two-week period. Kind of get a better feel for the environment. Um, oftentimes, when you're going to a place where you don't know, you want to make sure that um, you know the basics are covered. Sometimes things like healthcare is not as easy to get, so you want to just know that you know if if needs be, you're going to have those things covered, and um, get to know the the local flavor as everybody would. And then the next key thing would be make sure that you have some form of support there, some sort of friends, contacts. You may not know anybody to begin with, but you want to have some form of an anchor. Your first visit will not be like your permanent stay (laughs) because then you're there to stay and you'll really get to see the details and the nitty gritty. So make sure you have your foundation and the support system, friends, whoever, acquaintances that can help you. That makes a lot of sense. Whenever I contemplate living or working abroad, it always sort of ends up as like a mental image of just piles and piles of paperwork and bureaucracy. Was that what it was like for you? You know what? It was a cultural thing. What happens is, is like the first time I walked, I came into Grenada, (laughs) I met the customs officer and the customs officer wanted to charge me a arm and a leg for my laptop, like computer. Like just to bring it into the country? Yeah. Okay. So straight off the bat, you're like, oh, wait, this is not right. You know, I'm trying to be fleeced here. And (laughs) if you do not understand the culture and how things work, it will rub you the wrong way. And so as it applies to customs, immigration, all that paperwork stuff, um, you just have to know how to move with the people, which I think 
coming from the States and especially me coming from Southern Cal, I was like, what is this? You know, so you have to really <laughs> be patient, um, especially in the Caribbean, there's island time. Um, so you have to, <laughs> yeah, it's not just paperwork. It's like, you know, if we have to call somebody to come in to handle a plumbing issue, you know, the plumbing issue may need to be done like now, but the plumber may get here tomorrow. <laughs> at best, gotcha. you know? so, yeah. When you were a little boy watching the Beverly Hillbillies and all those good shows in syndication and reruns, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, I, I love football. So I wanted to be a football player. I love the San Diego Chargers. I was living in San Diego. So I loved that. But my mom wouldn't let me. So <laughs> I would just play for fun. Um, didn't really have any aspirations or anything like that. I was just a kid flowing in the wind. And I was just told, you know, I had to get really good grades. And so I was, the, you know, the firstborn. So I just really did well in school and, and went off into college doing science. I had to. So what made you pick science degrees? <laughs> my mom told me I had to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And did you have any like love for that course of study or was it more just like path of least resistance? Actually, neither. It was hard. Like, like biology is hard. Science, hardcore sciences, like chemistry and all that stuff. I mean, it is not my thing and I did it. And and frankly, if it was not for my mother, I would not have been able to do it. It's hard. When I say hard, you know, it's tough. And so it wasn't path of least resistance, but I tend to be flexible so that I can, I can handle the sciences just as much as I can do the humanities or even if I'm, you know, I've become a people person. So yeah, I can, I can run the gamut, but no, trust me, it's hard. So speaking of being a people person, I just can't help but wonder how you invest a ton of time and probably money and resources into getting these two science degrees and then throw that overboard for the glamorous life of a hotel manager. Why did you do that? <laughs> you know what it is? And I'll tell you, <laughs> there's a line in the um, the Magnificent Seven. And um, so... They asked the guy, so why did you decide to come back and try to fight and everything? And the guy says, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> and that's exactly how it was. I didn't know any better. You know, if I'd known, Susan, I would not have gone into biology. Um, you know, that was, that was okay. eight years worth of my life. And eight tough years of, you know, high level um, sciences that I didn't end up using at all. Um, and I didn't know that. And, and then I didn't know that I was, you know, when I came to Grenada that, you know, I was going to end up running the hotel and that I was going to be a general manager for the next 22 years. So <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, <laughs> the thing, the prospect of me going from Southern Cal to Caribbean was, seemed like a really good idea. And I think that that was a really good idea. Like I was trying to get away from that whole life. Um, the academic, like the, the path I was heading was total pure research and, you know, in the lab and all that. And I'm really glad that I didn't end up that way. So I'm, I'm much happier doing, you know, hotels and, and we'll, we'll get into that. But hospitality is so much nicer. Like people are nice. They're not like, you know what I mean? They're not like robotic. <laughs> 
They're not curing cancer. God as bless it them. Were. No, God bless them. You know, and then that's the thing. It's just, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to do that. So after many years of running the Siesta Hotel in Grenada and a pretty painful pandemic for your business, you turned the operation over to your son so that you could focus on your side gig, which is called Guest Chat. What is Guest Chat and how did you come up with the idea for the business? So Guest Chat is a chatbot for hotels, but really it's now become a series of chat options for hotels. So it's not that we started it that way, but we're finding that hotels want to use different options. Some hotels have the capacity to be able to go to live chat straight, and they have the manpower to be able to support it. Um, Some want to go to to WhatsApp support. Um, They have Facebook Messenger, Instagram, all these sort of things. So we're providing them chat capability in whatever way they want. Um, if they want the chatbot capability, that's our primary thing. We do it very, very well. Um, and if they want that to be part of their solution with live chat combined, we're able to do that. And, and, and now we've brought in um, the large language models like ChatGPT, and that's really filling in the gaps. So yeah, it's, it's chat capability that's very customized for each property. And is it more for independent hotels or branded hotels? Like, is it hard to add to a website or kind of who's your target customer? So extremely easy to add to any website. Very, very easy. Um, Our target market is the independent um, property. However, it's just because the, the chain brands, you know, are, let's say, they have to make these decisions on a higher level and uh, on a corporate level. It's a lot. It's a lot more difficult to to be able to quickly say, "Yep, I want it. Let's do a trial and test it." But for anybody that's listening in the corporate world of, of hotel chains, we are very open to it, and we know that we can deliver. <laughs> you referenced large language models earlier. My understanding is that you created Guest Chat long before OpenAI became so accessible to the public. Can you talk about how that has or will impact the tool so that you it, have? It like rocked our business. It locked our it rocked our business <laughs> in a way that I just can't explain to you. Um, because it's a it's a paradigm shift all of a sudden. Um the difference is this thing is smart and it understands what you're saying and it can actually answer. And that's quite scary if you think about it. Um, it understands. Like to give you an example, there was a story that my mom used to tell me as a kid about this little bird who was flying around having a good time and this ant that would be gathering its little grains all summer. And then when winter came, the bird didn't have any food. And I gave this story to ChatGPT. Because I wanted to know, like, is it smart enough to understand the moral of the story? Man, it gave me moral of the story so much, like so many different, like moral one, moral two. And so it it understands. (laughs) And so the implications for us were huge because on the one hand, we had this tool now that we could offer to our clients that could like pinpoint accuracy, understand what the guests want. Right? That's that's massive. On the other hand, our existing tool is, I don't want to say outdated, but definitely being, um, maybe eclipsed is the right word. So it, it changed us. And, and to that point, Susan, we're still sort of um, 
trying to figure out the the sweet spot uh, because I was telling a hotelier, I'm a big movie person. So, you know, in the X-Men, there's this character called Cyclops and his eyes are like shoot laser. But in order to protect the world, (laughs) he wears these glasses so that the lasers don't shoot. And I say like, this chat GPT is like that Cyclops. If you lift those glasses up, it is so powerful. Like, boom, it'll shoot a ray and it could do damage. I'll give you an example. Um, we had a guest ask, we were running tests. We had a guest ask, um, are you a real person? And ChatGPT turned around and said, yes, I'm a real person. How can I help you? And I was like, what? And so like, that's why we have not gone live with it. Um, we're still in test mode. We cannot afford uh, for any of our clients to run a, a large language model that gives any inaccurate information. Um, some hotels are like, that's okay. We can, you know, we're, we'll give you some leeway. I'm like, no, it's not okay for me. Um, so yeah, that's how powerful it is. It, it, it'll answer like that. And unless you, I don't know, like corral it, you know, and unless you're able to just like put it in a box and say, you can say this, but you can't say that and all that. Mm-hmm. It's a tool under testing. Got it. This sounds like a good time to remind you that Cherish Tours is planning a bunch of once-in-a-lifetime trips, including a Nordic getaway that includes three countries, a glamping trip to an out-of-the-way spot in Utah, and a safari in Tanzania. Cherish trips are designed for women of all ages and walks of life, to have transformative adventures without the hassle of planning or traveling alone. One of the coolest parts about traveling with Cherish is that the excursions, the lodging, the meals are all arranged with local women in business. So you get an experience that is far more unique than a generic package tour. What I liked most of all was hanging with the other women on the trip. It was so gratifying to realize that we could have a blast together, despite the fact that we came from very different backgrounds and perspectives. So if you want to have an experience like this, it's very easy to get started. The trip deposit is $500 and Cherish Tours offers payment plans to help you save up. Visit Cherish Tours to get all of the details. And just for Top Floor listeners, you can use the promo code Top Floor to get $100 off. That's gocherishtours.com, promo code Top Floor. Okay, back to the show. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each and every episode of Top Floor with practical, tangible tips to try in their businesses or in their lives. When I, Nima, think about your life escaping a revolution in 1978, growing up in Southern California in the 80s and 90s, and moving to Grenada as a young husband and father... I just cannot help but wonder how you have synthesized all of these experiences and cultures in your life. So let's put on our therapy hats for a moment and you (laughs) tell me about your childhood. No, I'm just kidding. Do you have any any suggestions for 
how people can find contentment and peace far from home. Yeah, I mean, from from where I sit, people everywhere in the world have the same basic needs. They want to have security. They want to have food, a livelihood, some work, family, what they care about. Not like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's some people who want to go off into space, but for the <laughs> most part, it doesn't make a difference if you're in, you know, Japan or China or, I don't know, Bulgaria or Brazil. Most people on earth want to have safety, security. They want to be able to have enough to eat, um, a roof over their heads, some work to do, a loving family, a, a love in their lives. And so, I found that to be consistent everywhere. Um, and I, I found most people to have real good hearts. I think real good hearts. Um, and I have to say, especially in hospitality, that's the case. Really, really kind people. And I love that. I love working with people who are like nice people. Um, for me personally, I tend to be somebody who's sort of like turning inward. So I, I meditate, I pray. Um, I spend a lot of time doing that because it brings me inner peace. and then. It also affects my interactions outwardly. Um, I see a connecting point with others. At least I try. I'm not perfect. Um, and, you know, I hope that others are able to, to find that for themselves. Shifting gears, what are some mistakes you made as an inexperienced hotel manager that you would warn people as a lesson learned for, for themselves? I, I I think, you know, at times when I, I was younger, and I still, to a certain extent, I'm reactionary. And when I say reactionary, I was quick. I was hasty because I wanted to maybe please the guest immediately. And I, I think that's really important. Don't get me wrong. But I think um, taking a momentary step back to look at the situation from a more holistic point of view helped. Having said that, again... I think that if you're going to be in hospitality, you have to have this. The first thing, the most important thing, single quality in hospitality is got to be nice. Nice. I didn't say kind, just nice, right? And there's a difference between the two. But if you don't have that that niceness, you're going to have trouble in every aspect. Um, And so what I would say is, and I didn't have this problem. I think I was nice. I would say, you know, always try to be nice. In hospitality, you're not that, man. You're in the wrong field. (laughs) We have reached the fortune-telling portion of our show. We are going to predict the future and wave our magic wands. Similar to Hawaii, Grenada is a tropical island that depends on tourism for the bulk of its economy. We have been watching leaders in Hawaii try to balance the economic reliance on tourism with the very real sort of environmental impact and dangers that it can cause. The reason I say all that is to ask you what prediction you might have about the future of tourism-based economies. Yeah, it's really, really tough. Um they are tourism-based economies. Governments do, from time to time, try to wean those tourism economies off. Um, and usually it starts with agriculture or some sort of export. Um, it 
takes a lot of good planning to do that from a from a not an organ. It has to be a governmental perspective and, and long term. I can't just be term. like yeah yeah like serious long term. And I am just sorry to say that I have not seen this level of strategic planning um, for any government. Uh, I wish that I could say that. It's not a knock on anything. I just think it's hard and you have to have a lot of experience and training. Um, so I think they're going to be continuing to, I believe the smaller the nation, uh, the more the case that tourism is going to be a, a huge, huge uh, income for those countries. Um, I think it's a matter of um, building those up and and making them more I don't want to say, I mean, the best way I can say it is with more additions on them so that maybe the, the simple tourism um, market has been, hey, come see our place to stay in a, in a hotel and go. And obviously that, that has already changed. There are so many travel groups, as you know, Susan, who are now going to specific places and they're looking for much more, um, I would say, a local experience. They want to see people in that, in their, you know, just doing their daily stuff and and becoming more familiar with that. That's the kind of like extra stuff that is not the kind of tourism product that we would have thought about maybe ten years ago. Um, much more personalized, much more personal in the sense that you get to see what's going on at the place. You know, I think there's definitely an emerging market for adding on some sort of giving back to a trip. Mm. And I think that may be the easier path or, you know, one of the paths of least resistance for these tourism-based economies rather than say, we don't care about tourism anymore. To your point, adding on more diversification and more different mm. interesting things that counteract or counterbalance like over tourism and the negative impact. I don't know. Yeah. Susan, there are so many, you know this, there are so many groups that are going on like multiple trips for specific, like there are women's groups that go to then seek other women in like in a region. Um, there are different um, ethnic groups that are traveling. There are, you know, young people traveling as groups. All these are are great opportunities for tourist boards, for um, governments, um, and and they're trying. It's you know the thing about government is like they tend to be very in the box when it comes to like thinking things out. I know a lot of um, local governments are offering these incentives where they're saying, "Hey, come, we'll give you a credit towards the tour, the hotel stay, the whatever." So they're trying, um, but like I said, and like you said. There's so much more out there that they they just don't know about. So they, they wouldn't have tried it, you know? That makes sense. Okay. If you could wave your magic wand and recreate any dish, like any food from your past, what would it be? So um, we're going to Miami. So I'm going to be in Miami shortly. So, you know, out here, we don't get any Persian food. But Persian food is the best. <laughs> and there is there is a specific dish called cello kebab, and this is a, a dish of with rice, saffron rice, um, and um, 
it has you have like skewers of chicken that have been like tenderized and then um, beef and with tomatoes and onions. I would highly recommend it to everybody. I'll put it up against any dish in the world. Cello that kebab. Look it good. up. Good. Are you gonna yeah. have it in Miami? Girl, am I gonna have it in Miami? <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever make it? We can't because we don't have the ingredient. Like we have rice, oh. but you can't get that kind of stuff down here. Like in I terms see. Of the beef. It's like it's really really difficult to make it. But no, we, we've <laughs> to tell you, Susan, we have gotten our hotel close to the Persian food restaurant. Nice. That's where we're going to be going. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. What is next for you and what's next for your company? So there's a lot of exciting stuff that's coming up. Um, we're actually working on a project called the Conversion Lobby. And this is a, a suite of, of um, products, including uh, business intelligence, digital marketing product, website development, um, we're partnering with different uh, components like a, a booking engine and a reservation um, events agent and the chatbot, our chatbot. So we're putting all this together that we're doing that. Um, and yeah, these large language models, we're, we're in, we are testing, but soon to hopefully get positive testing so that we can incorporate these large language models into guest chat. And we're offering free trials so that we prove it before you know you have to make that commitment. So yeah. Awesome. We'll have to link to that in the show notes. Okay, folks, before we tell Nima goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Nima, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock? <laughs> well, this one, this one's a, a good one. So during my time uh, as a manager, um, I've had one experience that stands out as, as both funny and unbelievable at the same time. So um, there was a night that we had recently installed, and this has to be more than 10, 10 years ago. We'd recently installed cameras at the front desk. And um, we didn't have anybody at the front desk during the night, which is one of the reasons We've installed cameras. Now I live inside the property, mm -hmm. and so that's one of the reasons. And we have a security guard. Uh, and that night there was a lady security guard, and this lady security guard was there on her first night. Like this was the first time she had been at the, at the property. So, and how that works is they assign security. Like you go to a security firm, the security firm assigns the, the guard for the night. So, front desk. Security guard comes in. I'm watching. So yeah, I'm just working on the computer, looking over to the camera. You see somebody like come in to the front desk. He's like talking to her, some some guy, some local guy. So I'm like, okay, cool. And then it starts to rain. It starts to like thunderstorm rain. So it's the kind of rain that it is. It's, I wouldn't say it's like tropical storm weather, but it is. It's one of those rain showers where you just generally not going to go out. So, so I'm watching and I see these two people kind of getting friendly. I'm like, what's going on here? And um, yeah, and I, it's like 1130 at night, right? Rain everywhere. At the and front these, desk. At the front desk. At the front desk. So, and it's progressively like getting worse. The rain or the friendliness? Girl, the both. The both. The both. And now it's like they're, they're 
at the front desk doing the thing. Oh my goodness. So I'm like, all right, that is it. So I get up, grab my umbrella. <laughs> this is on camera. I go down there. I'm like, what? We dropped the fly, both of them flying opposite directions. Oh my God. Nipping up and pulling up and all this stuff. Oh, Susan, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so um, did you send, like, did they go leave for the night or what well, happened? First of all, it was a horrible thing because the guy couldn't leave. It was just pouring rain. So he was just, you know, just standing there, just like petrified. And then the woman, obviously, she was, she moved to the side. So uh, the guy told the guy, you know, you have to leave. And I was so upset myself that I couldn't believe that, you know, this is happening. So, um, you know, he eventually went on his way when the rain stopped. And then the next morning, obviously, the security was there. The lady was there. She was so embarrassed and everything. And of course, that was her last, first and last day at work. (laughs) Yeah, there was some comedy for you. Oh my God, that's crazy. Nima Anvar, thank you so much for being here. I know our listeners enjoyed learning about your experience as a first-time hotel manager and a tech developer. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I I listen and I, I learn a lot. And I'm so glad to have been here to be able to share my story. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 105. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.